people experience a transformation that is so real, that's so alive, that you ask them, what happened to you? And perhaps an even more uh, intriguing question is, why is it there are so many Christ followers who um, don't experience that transformation? Why is it there are people that we sit with right here on Sunday morning and that we see every day that um, live lives of, of, of desperation and sometimes discouragement? Is transformation possible? I mean, is this idea of transformation, is it so true that we can dramatically and profoundly see a life, a life's trajectory actually change and altered forever? Forever. Do you believe that that's possible? I do with all my heart. And the Bible supports the claim that a human being can literally alter the direction of their life and ultimately their destiny by being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In these coming weeks, this is exactly what we're going to be looking at, is when we live a life that has been changed by the power of the Spirit of God within us, what does that look like? And this morning, I'd like to read for you the text that we'll be looking at throughout these seven weeks. And it's from Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. And as I read this this morning, I would like you to really hear and feel the words uh, from this text. Now, I would like to invite you, if you will, to uh, open your Bibles if you have them with you, uh, or your smartphones, your iPads, we'll put it up on the screen, Uh, you've got it in your bulletin, and I want to show you something. Um, Some of you have complained that uh, my phone uh, for a senior pastor is kind of ridiculous, Uh, It was a 1998 model, by the way. Well, yesterday, Sherry and I got uh, new phones. And now I have a clue how to use it. I'm not even sure if you called me, I could answer it. But but it looks looks really good when I'm holding it, you know, like I'm 18 again. And uh, so, uh, so in fact, Sherry uh, took a picture of me playing with it yesterday and sent it to our son. And he said, uh, Dad looks like he's clueless. Well, (laughs) there's a reason I look that way. Uh, Anyway, we want you to, uh, and here I try to tell you this every week, um, read your Bibles, right? It's amazing what's in that book. It's amazing what you can find and experience. Read your Bibles. And when we read this text today, I want you to hear, feel, acknowledge, believe, embrace, gulp these words. This is the Word of God for the people of God. These are Paul's words. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. You see what he's saying there? How difficult it is? That, you know, I want to do this and I want to follow God, but myself and my sin says this and there's this fight and I don't know what to do. They're in opposition. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah, we experience that every day. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. 
so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Next paragraph. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results, in other words, this is what happens when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. If your sin wasn't in that list, which I assume it was, uh, you can add yours to the list. Let me tell you again, Paul writes, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, those who live out of and are controlled by that selfish, sinful nature, this is a very harsh word, will not see the kingdom of God. Next paragraph. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He says, now, opposed, a juxtaposition to those things that I talked about, the, the envy, the slander, the sexual immorality, all those things that come out of this selfish, sinful nature. The opposite of that, what comes out of a spiritual nature are these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. In fact, I think if Paul were actually reading this himself, he'd say, there is no law against these things, right? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living in the Spirit, and please embrace those words. Those of you, and I think most of you are, but those of you who are Christ followers, embrace these words. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Isn't that beautiful? So here's what Paul is saying in essence. You have a choice. How do you want to live your life? Do you want, you want to live your life in, with a sinful nature, the selfish nature over here, or do you want to live the life of the Spirit of God alive in you? It's your choice. It's up to you. The sinful nature versus the life in the Spirit. We get to decide. Now, Jesus said it another way in the Gospel of John. He said it, and some of you are familiar with John 10.10. If you're a Christ follower, been raised in the church, you know this passage. But this is taken from the message. Listen to John 10.10. Jesus is speaking. I have come, listen to this phrase, so they can have real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Now, is that a life that you want? I, I can't tell you how deeply... I want that kind of life for myself, for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren, for my church, for all God's creation. This abundant life, according to God's word, is a life that is so extraordinary, so remarkable, that you cannot suppress the joy. It is a life lived by grace. Or let me say it another way. Why is it that so many Christians live lives of quiet lack of victory, just, just without victory in their lives. 
God says that it's possible for every one of us right now, today, right at this moment, for you to make a decision, I'm going to live a victorious life. I'm going to live with the Spirit as my guide, as the Holy Spirit in my life. I believe that this idea of living this kind of life, this kind of Spirit-led life, rather than a selfish or sinful life, is the difference between living a life of grace and ungrace. And brothers and sisters, we've got to get this right. If there's anything we have to get right in our world today, in our church today, is this idea of grace and understanding what it means, how we live it out, and how we live it in the world. We've got to get this right. And so here is a passage I want to read to you, another one of Paul's passages from Ephesians chapter 2, where once again he explains this with a little bit of twist, a little bit change in this, but it's the same message. This is what he says, Ephesians 2, 4 to 7. But because of his great love for us, he starts there. He doesn't start with condemnation, doesn't start with anger, doesn't start I'm ticked off. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it reminds you of Romans 8, 28. You know, and this, this idea that God is just, his love is with you even in the midst of your sin. So he says, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show, the, get this next phrase, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Is that the kind of life you want to live? Is that the kind of victorious living in the upper half of life, living a life of grace, a life of the Spirit, is that the kind of life you want to live? That is what the Bible calls a transformed life. And it's yours if you're a Christ follower. You just need to live in it. Now, in order to experience this transformation, we have to get this idea of grace, the riches of his grace, grace that is lavished upon him. I mean, you know the story. Again, if you don't, let me tell you briefly the story of the prodigal son. A young man disobeyed his father, basically took half of his father's inheritance, and when he did that, it was basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead. He took his half of his inheritance, went off, spent it in riotous living, wine, woman, and song, came back and said, I don't have any place to live. I don't have any place to go. I have nothing. He said, I hope my father somehow takes me back as a servant or a slave, something. But here's what happened. Justice would have said, no, you can't come home. You don't deserve it. That would be justice. Mercy would say, okay, you can come home, but you have to be a slave or a servant. Grace says, you are my son. And I put a ring on your finger and a coat around your shoulders, and we kill the fatted calf, and we have a party. I want to live in grace. I want to live in that realm where God's love is literally poured out upon his people. And when his love is poured out on you, you walk in the spirit, and guess what? You then disperse that grace and that love to other people. That's the kind of world that we want to live in. So here's the question. Really two questions this morning. The first one is this. How do I live that life of grace now. Right now, today, how do I live that kind of life of grace? And the second question is this. How do I continue that life of grace and how do I live that in a world around us of ungrace? 
a world that doesn't understand grace, a world that has never experienced grace, a world that is broken and lost and lonely. And, and, and how do we express that grace in us to that lost and broken world? Those are the two questions we're going to look at today. So the first question we begin with is this. How do I live a life of grace now? So I, I drew, this, drew, drew this little um, drawing. Uh, you have to forgive me. It's not great, but it's, you know, I, I was an engineer, but that was like 100 years ago. So, um, but this is the way I see this, this contrast. And the question is, is, you just kind of look at that and let that kind of get into you. Which realm do you want to live in? Now, most of you say, well, yeah, of course, I want to live in the upper half, right? I want to live in the place where there's grace and there's joy and there's forgiveness. I want to live in, with abundance. I want to live in the penthouse. I want to experience all that God by his spirit wants to give me, the joy and goodness, the fruit of the spirit. I want to live in that place where there's no condemnation. I want to live in that place where I, I, I see myself through the eyes of Jesus. Okay, that, that's one of those Areas. Now, the other area, the bottom half, is a very different place, and yet we find a lot of people in the world, and hear this, even a lot of believers live in this place. It's a place of want. It's a place that God isn't gracious enough to me. God doesn't accept me. God isn't generous enough. I don't have enough money. God isn't nice enough to me. And all of those things, were, it's always about want. Instead of about abundance of, oh, I'm so blessed and God has given me so much, you live in that or you live in the outhouse, the place of want, where you see yourself through your failures, through the eyes of a checklist, through the eyes of condemnation. You see yourself through a shameful dependence on what you have come to believe will satisfy you. That's ungrace. So which realm, which kingdom do you want to live in? The kingdom of grace or the kingdom of want? Now, of these two realms, we have to decide which one we're going to live in. Everyone gets to decide, right? You get to decide. What, but here, here's what Paul would say, and Jesus would confirm. He, he would say, choose wisely. Okay, choose wisely because... The, the, the decision that you make, maybe even today, the decision you make to, to live in a life of grace or a life of ungrace, uh, you better get used to that life because that's a life that will carry with you throughout all eternity. You need to understand that it's your choice. I remember my father when I was a teenager, he used to tell me this, and as a result, I've told my kids that, my grandkids, I, I tell our teenagers that, and it's this. My dad said, now, Dwayne, when you're out, when I was a teenager, my mom insisted they had to talk with me, you know, so, ugh, you know, nobody wanted that. But he said basically this. He said, when you're out at a party, when you're in the car, a backseat of a car with a girl, when you're in this situation or that situation, he said, um, be very careful the decisions you make. Now, he didn't condemn me or scold me or say, don't, don't, don't. Here's what he said. He said, because the decisions you make in those moments will stay with you for the rest of your life. That's good wisdom, Right? That's good wisdom. If you, if, by the way, you can steal that from me and take it home and tell your kids like you made it up. But that is great wisdom. Every decision we make. And when it comes to living in the spirit or living in self, we make that decision. Sometimes we make that decision every single day. Now, the Bible tells us that the life that we live has a kind of an incumbent odor to it. If you live a life of grace, a life of beauty, 
Your life kind of smells that way. If you live in the bottom half, your life kind of smells like that. You know, do you want to smell like a penthouse or an outhouse? It's, it's kind of up to you, but you, your life kind of smells that way. Now, I was, uh, when I was in college uh, in San Diego, uh, I went to a concert, the first rock concert I ever went to, 1968. I was a sophomore in college. And... Um, uh, some friends were going, and, they, and I never go, ah, I don't know if I want, yeah, you're going to come, okay. So I had uh, a date, I got a date, a gal I knew in one of my classes at college, and we went on this date, it wasn't Sherry, by the way, she wasn't nearly as nice as Sherry, and uh, we went on this date, and uh, we got to the San Diego Sports Arena, and we all walked in, and, and you couldn't see, I thought it was, there was a fog machine on, except it wasn't a fog machine. I had never been around marijuana I'd never smelled it, I'd never, I mean, I'd seen it, you know, guys at school had it, but I'd never smelled it or anything like that, and I thought, man alive, how can you even see Bob Dylan? Of course, who wants to see Bob Dylan? And in those days, who wants to hear Bob Dylan? But, uh, you know, they were there, and so there's Bob Dylan, and there's this, this, this mist all over, I said, and I thought to myself, I, said, I don't want to, I don't want, that's not the smell I want to be. <laughs> That's not the odor I want to be. I don't want to be that. And metaphorically speaking, I, I see myself to, I, I don't want to be a smell that points people to something other than Jesus. So, so here's a question. How does your life smell? Does it smell like you're living in that top half of life with grace and a lack of condemnation and joy and purpose? Or is it in the lower half, a, a life of ungrace, a life of shame? How does your life smell? Here's what Paul said about that very fact. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 and 16. And again, I take this from the message. It's really written well here. Here's what he said. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Fragrance. Then he goes on. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God. Did you know that your life gives off a, a, a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation, an aroma teeming, or the message says redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. So what do you want to smell like? <laughs> What do you want your life to smell like? Now, in our church, now I, I will say this. For most of you, uh, you smell pretty good, okay? Most of you. Now, most of you, if you're new here, uh, if you're new, I didn't hug you. Otherwise, if you're not new, I hugged you, even if you're, you're shocked by it. So. so I smell most of you pretty good. Now, that's not the reason I hug you, but that's just kind of a byproduct. But I'll tell you what, most of you smell really good, but there's a couple of people in our church that really smell good. I mean, Jackie Lingle and Vicki Reed, if you haven't smelled them, smell them, okay? <laughs> now, Vicki Reed was in first service, so she already went home, but she said like 100 people smelled me. You know, what's about that? How do we live this life of grace where we have this sweet aroma that's going up to God? Or our lives exhibit this kind of grace and this kind of purity, this kind of beauty, walking in the spirit, this kind of transformation. How do we do that? Well, let me share with you three things that help us live in that kind of upper half of living. The first thing is this. By seeing ourselves through God's eyes. By seeing ourselves through God's eyes. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Isn't that beautiful? We, Jesus literally became our righteousness, and we have his righteousness. Now, I, I want to give an example of what that looks like. And so I need a couple of volunteers, volunteer, volunteer. Okay, Bree just volunteered, and my friend Julia volunteered. Yes, come up here, Julia. So, yeah, she volunteered too. And, uh, and so here we go. So, Bree, you stand right over here, right opposite me. Julia, you come over here and just stand right there. Face the By the way, Julia is Brad Kendall's daughter. Those of you that are around way back, Brad's over here. He was our first worship pastor, and he lasted for about 30 minutes. No, he lasted <laughs> two years, two years. But uh, Julia is his daughter. So, so here's what I want everybody to see. So I'm Dwayne. I'm, I'm, I'm every man. I'm one of them out there. And I love God, but my life always doesn't show it. And I'm very disappointed that I don't always live the way I want to live. Just like Paul said in the, the, the first passage we read, right? Oh, I wish I could, but I don't, and all that. So I feel really bad about who I am, about myself, about my life. But I, 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 I die, and I go to heaven. And I stand before God, and Bree is God, by the way, if you didn't know that. And <laughs> Bree is God, and I'm standing before her, and I feel this sense of doom and frustration that I never really lived up to the way I wanted to live and I don't know what to do and I f stand before her with fear and trepidation. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the resurrection. So, so I mean the judgment and so I feel like I'm going to be judged and I stand before God and God is about ready to pronounce me for exactly what I am, for what God sees and I have every right because I deserve every bit of it and just as God is about ready to speak, Jesus Christ, Julia, steps between us right here. <laughs> And everything God sees is through Jesus. Yep. Every sin, every part of Jesus' righteousness is my righteousness. Every part of Jesus' love is my love. Every part of Jesus' joy is my joy. And that's the way God sees us. Thank you, ladies. You can, you can be seated. We forget so quickly and we always go back to the way we were raised. Okay, I do, I've got to do a checklist. I've got to make sure I do this right. I've got to just be, you know, I've got to work harder. I've got to be more faithful. I've got to read my Bible. And we always go back to that place instead of just basking in the grace of God. He sees us through Jesus. This is what Max Lucado said. When God sees us, he also sees Christ. He sees perfection. Not perfection earned by us but paid for by him. Isn't that beautiful? Lucado goes on and says, God's goodness is your goodness. You are absolute perfection. No wonder heaven applauds when you wake up. Uh, does that ever happen to you? Probably not, but you know. No matter, no wonder heaven applauds every time you wake up. A masterpiece has stirred in the book, uh, in his eyes, in his book, you are perfect. The Bible calls that reality imputed righteousness. It's a big word. What it means is that Jesus' righteousness, his perfection, becomes yours. That's how you walk by the Spirit. Recognizing and believing every single day that God sees me through Jesus, his Son. There's another way that we walk in this upper half of life, this life of grace, by recognizing the voice of shame is from the accuser. Now, for me to say that, I need to give you a little bit of biblical, theological work around this. There are two words that we throw around a lot in our society. One is guilt and the other is shame. 
The biblical view of guilt is this. Guilt is what you feel when you do something wrong. Guilt is a good thing. Guilt is a great thing. When you sin, when you hurt somebody else, when you hurt yourself, when you hurt God, you should feel a pang in your heart. Man, I, I, I am so sorry. Father, I didn't mean to do that, and I'm going to make amends to the person I hurt. And guilt is a good thing. In fact, my kids, when they were teenagers, especially my son, uh, Nathan, uh, when he was 16, 17, 18, he was an idiot, you know, like most kids at that age. And, and he did a lot of things wrong. And I remember talking, I said, son, I, you, when you did that, did, did you feel guilty? And he'd say, uh, yeah, I, I did. And that always gave me a peace because when you feel guilty, that means that the Spirit of God is alive in you. You may be ignoring him, right? But the Spirit of God is alive in you. That's what guilt is. Guilt is God saying, hey, hey, that's not, that's not going to work. It's not going to work for you. It's not going to work for the people you love. And it's not going to work for me, okay? So, don't, so guilt means... Lord, I'm sorry, First Corinthians, I mean, uh, you know, First John 1, 9, you know, that amazing passage, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? You know, the windshield wiper verse, right? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need it over and over again, right? So, so we have this amazing thing. So guilt is a good thing. So when you feel guilt, say, thank you, Lord, okay? But shame, that's something else. Biblically, shame is when you believe about who you are as something less than what God intended for you to be. Shame is when you think that you are worthless. Shame is when you believe the enemy, and the enemy tells you you are condemned. By the things you do, and the way you act, and the way you think, and the way you behave, you are a bad person. That's shame, and that shame is always from the enemy. Rejoice in guilt, but if you have shame around something somebody did to you or something you did to yourself or some other circumstance, shame is something that God wants you to lay on the altar. He doesn't want you to feel shame for who you are. He wants you to know that you are seen through the eyes of Jesus. So we have to see ourselves through God's eyes. We have to recognize that the voice of shame is from the accuser. And the third thing is this. By re, we need to remind ourselves constantly that we belong to Jesus. Constantly that we belong to Jesus. Now there is an issue in the world today, and especially in the United States. It's been brought up at the uh, Sochi Games in Russia. There is a, uh, something in the world today that is a tidal wave. And that tidal wave is the way the world... Americans, Christians, see and perceive gay people, okay? If you want to ignore that fact, you're going to be lost because it is a tidal wave and it is coming and it is sweeping over our country and everything's changing. So as Christ followers, we never want to think through things politically. We want to think through things as kingdom people. Okay, so what we need to think about is, okay, as a Christ follower, what I, so what we need is our Bible in one hand, which is God's word, and this enormous love and grace that he has lavished on me and that he wants me to give someone else, right? And we, we balance, that's, a, that's the job of the church. That's what we have to figure out what that looks like, right? Uh, if you are used to being part of a church where it's about condemnation, you're bad, you're bad, you're a sinner, you're in the wrong church, okay? You're not going to like this church at all, I, I believe me. And if you come to a, go to a church where they say, well, the Bible doesn't really mean... Nope, that's not for, this church isn't for you either. We have both things in our hands. The Bible is God's word, and here we have this grace and this love and this joy of Jesus in our lives, and how do we give that to... And how do we deliver this? We deliver this with this every time. 
We deliver the Bible with this love and grace and compassion. So anyway, that's, that's a whole sermon series. We're not going to do that today. But I just, want, I just wanted to get out, that out there because, friends, the world, our nation, the church, there's an avalanche going on. It's around that issue. Okay, so with that issue in mind, how many of you remember Mel White? You remember him, Brad, right? Back in the day, he made Christian movies in the 1970s and 1980s. Yeah. Mel White, yes, I do remember that. And um, in fact, I forgot Karen Wooster, who was in first service, Karen Wooster, Mel White was her pastor in Los Angeles back in the day. Well, Mel White was a, a, a wonderful Christian man, and he did a lot of Christian movies, and then in the 80s, he came out and declared that he was gay. Now, this is in the 80s. The uproar and the condemnation and the visceral hatred that came out of the church I remember, was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. No wonder the world thinks that we are homophobic, right? No wonder the world thinks that we hate people. And so that was kind of what was happening around him, and he was trying to live his life, and he didn't know what to do. And, and so finally, David Frost, who, as you remember, if you're old enough, he used to do interviews. And um, he had a TV interview with Mel White's parents okay, after this broke. Here's what Frost said. At one point, Frost asked Mel's parents on camera, do you know what other Christians are saying about your son? They say he is an abomination. What do you think about that? Now, first of all, David Frost was an idiot, you know, to do that, right, on national television. But he asked the question, it was out there, and the mother replied. Well, the mother answered in a sweet, quavery voice, he may be an abomination, but he is still our pride and joy. See, that line has stayed with me all these years because I came to see as a heart-rending definition of grace that phrase, yep, yep, he may be an abomination, but he is still our pride and joy. What Mel White's mother expressed how God views is how God views every one of us. In some ways, and I hope you're not offended by this or maybe you should be offended by this, in many ways, we're all an abomination to God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same boat. None of us deserve grace. None of us deserve God. We deserve what the, the, the prodigal son deserved, and that's to be thrown out on his rear end. But God said, because of my great love and my great mercy and my enormous grace, I, I know you're an abomination, but you are still my pride and joy. I love that about God. I love that about God. He loves us anyhow. Grace declares that we are still God's pride and joy. In spite of my sinfulness, in spite of my brokenness, God still loves me. He doesn't love my sin. He hate, you know why God hates sin, by the way? He hates sin because we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. That's why he hates it. He doesn't hate it because up in the sky there's this list of stuff that's bad. You know, he hates it when we do something that hurts ourselves and hurts others. And God cares so deeply about us. He wants us to live that kind of upper half, grace-filled, abundant, penthouse life. That's what he wants for each and every one of us. But in spite of my sinfulness and brokenness, God still loves me. He is my Abba. He is my Father. You are his sons and daughters. That's how we live in the upper half, by seeing myself through the eyes of Jesus by recognizing the voice of shame is from the enemy and by remembering constantly that I belong to Jesus and he will never 
ever let me go. That's how we live in the riches of grace and abundance in the upper half of life. And that's how I want to live my life. But the second question, and I'll just touch on this briefly, is just as important as the first. So, okay, Dwayne, I understand. I, I do, I do, I do, I do. I want to live in that life of grace. I want to live in that place in my life where there is no condemnation and there is joy and there's purpose. But how do we live that life of grace in a world of ungrace? How do we live that kind of life in a broken world? In a world where we see these avalanches constantly coming and constantly shifting in our society and we're saying, man, what's happening? Well, you got to remember one thing. First of all, you are of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you're the big kingdom. Remember that. You're a spirit person. You're the kingdom of heaven. And that's the kingdom of man. Now, we have to live in that kingdom. We have to understand how to live in that kingdom. But that kingdom of man, that little kingdom, that's a, that, that's a tough place. That's where the enemy, that Satan is kind of going around and that's his territory. So that's a tough place. But how do we, as Christ followers, as those who want to live in the upper half, as those who are led by the Spirit, how do we walk in the life that we call this world? How do I emit the aroma of grace rather than the stench of hatred and condemnation? How is it that we as individuals and collectively, Hope Covenant Church, promote grace in our world. Gordon MacDonald said this. He said, the world can do anything the church can do except for one thing. It cannot show grace. The the world can do exactly what we do all the time. They can do nice things to the community. They can do all kinds of, they can get together and sing songs. They can preach sermons. They can do all of that. But one thing they can't do is dispense grace. One of my favorite images that Paul and Peter both give in the New Testament is that we are called grace dispensers. Okay, grace dispensers. And that word, uh, dispenser, in the uh, original language, it means, and this is an old school term that some of you will never, didn't even know it existed. How many of you have ever heard, and you're going to show your age here, how many of you have ever heard of an atomizer? An atomizer, right? The little bulb on it, little spray bulb, you know, and it, it's perfume, it sprays perfume out and like that. Well, we are called to be dispensers or atomizers of grace. Now, I couldn't find an atomizer. Even, I mean, they don't, I don't know if they even exist anymore. But I do have um, Moonlight Path. <laughs> Fine fragrance mist. It wasn't mine. Don't get too excited. It was my wife's. But, so I have this Moonlight Path. And so, I'm gonna, here's going to, Mona, here you go. I'm going to, just a little out there. Sam, you're not going to like this. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and over here, over here, I know my wife doesn't need this, but, and then Brandon probably does, so here we go. <laughs> so, um, now, I, I, can't, I can't affect all of you, I can't spray all of you, but I can do the front row. I, I can do the people that I work with, that I go to school with, that I go to church with, I, I can do that. I can't do the whole world, but I can do that. I can make that much difference. I can be a dispenser of grace to those people in my life. We are to be dispensers of grace. Now, we can do that. We do that really with two, two ways. There's other ways, but just two this morning. One, we do that with words. The Bible says in Proverbs that, um, and also it's reaffirmed in James chapter 4, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 4, uh, that our words can either dispense and disperse life or death. 
The words that you speak can either be words of life or they can take, give life or they can take life away. We all know that to be true. Remember that we used to say, Stin, uh, 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 stick, what is it, sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me? It's a lie. It's a lie. Names do hurt us. And what people say does matter. And it really hurts. We can be dispensers of grace by the words that we say. I, I was on uh, our, our Serve the Church Day a couple Saturdays ago. Uh, I talked to a lot of people. And as I did, I, I, I watched people working and doing things. And they were having fun working and serving. And, but what I noticed also is that in their conversations, people were really encouraging each other and blessing each other and offering words of bless blessing and words of hope. Words really matter. In fact, we are, um, uh, we are one of the churches, one of 25 churches that will be doing kind of a beta test of a program. comes out of Bayside Church, a large covenant church in Sacramento. Uh, it's called Unleashing Hope. And we're going to be part of that uh, sermon series, a seven-week sermon series on Unleashing Hope. And in those seven weeks, this starts the Sunday after Easter. On those seven weeks, we are going to unleash hope. And a lot of the way we do that is by the words that we speak to another human being. So you can be a dispenser of grace by the way you speak. But you can also be a dispenser of grace, and this is especially effective, right? But with actions, by the, by the way you live your life. Now, um, a very hot issue, uh, the hot issue today is gay marriage and what the world is doing with all of that. The hot issue 30 years ago was abortion. Uh, 1973, three significant things took place. Uh, the war in Vietnam ended. Uh, Richard Nixon uh, did, had Watergate and Roe v. Wade. And all three of those impacted the world greatly. That was probably, some historians say that year was probably one of the most historical significant years in history of America, 1973. And one of them was because of Roe v. Wade and legalizing abortions. Now, uh, the Bible's clear that all life matters and we are supposed to be um, affirming and gracious and grateful for every level of life, including the unborn, right? That is an absolute deep-hearted conviction that doesn't come from me. It comes from God's word, okay? So this, this was disturbing to those of us in the church at the time. But here's what most people did when they were hearing this was going on. Most Christians did one of two things. They either did this, absolutely nothing, or they did the opposite of that, which was the wrong thing. They'd go and burn down abortion clinics, okay? Both of those things are very un-Jesus-like, right? So what does a dispenser of grace look like in a, in a construct like that? What does a dispenser of grace look like in a world that is broken and lost? And, and I want to give you an example as we close this morning because I think this is very, very powerful. Philip Yancey, another Christian author, uh, was present at the 1993 National Prayer Breakfast uh, during the Clinton administration. The speaker was an august, frail, 83-year-old Albanian nun by the name of Mother Teresa. By the way, Mother Teresa, that was in 1993, Mother Teresa died in 1997, and the reason that most of you didn't hear about it is because a week before, a Princess Di died. And the whole world cared about that. But not many people talked about Mother Teresa. Interesting sociological, uh, you know, deal there. So anyway, this is what Philip Yancey writes about that National Prayer Breakfast in 1993. The morning I interviewed President Clinton, we both attended the National Prayer Breakfast where we heard Mother Teresa speak. It was a remarkable event. 
The Clintons and the Gores sat at elevated tables on either side of Mother Teresa. Rolled out in the wheelchair, the frail 83-year-old Nobel Peace Prize laureate needed help to stand up. A special platform had been positioned to allow her to see over the podium. Even so, hunched over, four feet six inches tall, she could barely reach the microphone. But she spoke clearly and slowly with a thick accent in a voice that nonetheless managed to fill the auditorium. Mother Teresa said that America has become a selfish nation, in danger of losing the proper meaning of love. And she said love meant giving until it hurts. The greatest proof, she said, is abortion, the effects of which can be seen in escalating violence. If we accept what a mo- that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill each other? Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use any means necessary to get what they want. She continues, We are inconsistent, said Mother Teresa, to care about violence and to care about hungry children in places like India and Africa, and yet not care about the millions who are killed by the deliberate choice of their own family. She proposed a solution to those pregnant women who don't want their children. And then she paused and looked around all of these world makers and world changers that she was speaking to, and this is what she said. Here's my solution. Give those children to me. Give them to me. I'll find a place for them. I'll find a mother and father who will love them. But you give those babies to me. The place was hushed. That went beyond politics. That wasn't a political statement. That was a statement that when you're one person, you can make a difference. If you decide to live in this upper half of life, this life of grace, this life of abundance, this life of transformation, we can make a difference in our world today. So here's my question as we close. How does your life smell? What kind of aroma comes from your life? Is it a aroma that is redolent and teeming with grace and love and joy? Or is it filled with condemnation and worry and stress? God wants you to live a life that makes a difference in our world. So would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, um, This message for me is so fundamental, so foundational to what it means to live by the Spirit of God. This amazing teaching that we find in your Bible that instead of walking by sin and walking by self, we can walk by the Spirit. Father, I'm just convinced that every single person in our church today desires that. And that, Father, is as close as a whispered prayer. And so, Father, this morning I leave this word with our people and that this word would stretch for these next seven seven weeks as we look at what it means to be walk, walk in the Spirit of God. And I pray, Father, that we would be dispensers of grace, that people would recognize and smell our lives to be a sweet fragrance and aroma to a living and a holy God. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus and all of God's people together said, amen, amen. It's kind of the uh, platform for the sermon series that we'll be doing the next several weeks. Um, Before um, our worship band plays an amazing song that will cause you to worship with your hearts so full, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, give 
to the Lord's work today. This is our tithes and offerings. If you're new today, can I say this to you? Uh, if you're new, or if you're new in the last few weeks and you're still not sure if this is your church home, uh, you can come to church for free as long as you want. Absolutely free, right? You don't have to give us anything. Uh, but once you decide that this is your church family, this is your church home, we ask you to give generously and sacrificially to the work at Hope Covenant Church. And you
you are mine.